My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. So I'm joined today by Tom Wright, the playwright. I believe in GCC English, I learned a phrase, which I'm sure I've got this wrong, nominative determinism. I'm sure there weren't as many ends in that. But basically, Tom Wright, the playwright, is, I think, an example of that. But I've known Tom for a couple of years. He is a wonderful human being, an incredibly creative guy. And that's kind of what we're going to talk a little bit about today. But Tom... Tell us where you came from today and talk to me about the flies in your eyes from the cycling. (laughs) Well, I actually live really close to here, but I haven't come from home, which is a shame because it's so close. And I've been on my bike all day moving around town. The flies are out because it's hot. No way, yeah. And they've all been getting up in my eyes. The homophobic flies. The homophobia is real. It's rampant. flies. yeah. They were definitely targeting me. I could see how they were flying around me yeah. compared to other cyclists. Exactly. So I mostly came here today to talk about that. Good. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And it's, you know, Pretty Patel, Rwanda. It's all the same <laughs> agenda. Um, so you are a playwright. Correct. What does that mean? It means I write plays. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the slightly Great. podcast over. Yeah, that's no, a wrap. <laughs> well, it means, yeah. I mean, I don't just write plays. I also make films now and I also direct plays. But I've sort of always worked in theatre now moving into film. So I've always done a few different things. I started off as an actor, quickly realised that wasn't my calling. Why? Well, I went to drama school and I went in thinking, well, I don't know what I thought I was going to be able to be. I guess to be an artist. And that didn't really feel like what was happening at drama school. So the key things were, they said, take your earring out. Don't be gay if you want the lead roles. No way. 100%. Wow. Earring out, butch up. They also said, my accent, I'm from Coventry, you won't yeah. hear it now because they drew it out of me, but they were like, mm, Cov accent, isn't that useful? Mm. There's no like plays or stories that are specifically set in Coventry, so lose that. Had they not met Caitlin Moran <laughs> at that point? Like anyway, but like fine, so you were so, basically like beat down. Yeah, and I came out, you know, just like everyone else. But the whole time, and I only really realised this in retrospect, I was always like, if there was an opportunity to write a scene that people could do or write something for myself and this, that and the other. And I was working on what ended up becoming my first play not that I really knew it and I started working as an actor I think I worked as an actor for about three years but the sort of stuff I was getting into because I probably wasn't that good was like you know tours of Italy which is amazing to like travel but like yeah. that wasn't what quite what I imagined for Fine. myself Fine. and I knew what I knew was that whatever I do I wanted to sort of be like quite good at it and I thought okay I'm not that great at this so let's pivot and slowly as I guess it timed with me figuring out who I was and what I really wanted to do and revisiting that like I wanted to be an artist and I realized that my sort of strength when I was in these rehearsal rooms was my ideas yeah and I quickly realized when I was writing I could lean into those parts of me that are drama school they were like they're not useful but in writing that was the flavor of the plays they were the things when I was sharing my ideas they were like oh my god it's a gay story or it's a story maybe from Coventry or somewhere that's not London or a working class story or whatever that was suddenly they were the textures people were interested in or basically anything about me anything that was specific and nuanced and detailed people leaned into it rather than oh can you get rid of that because actually we need you to be this sort of neutral being and you've just given me like a wonderful segue to talking a bit more about the kind of subject of this podcast, which mm. is how our moms makers. You say you weren't very good at acting, and I'm sure <laughs> that's not true. But like, how much of that? No, is really. You, no, but like, how, how much of that is you being like your own worst critic? And mm. more importantly, what would your mum say? Like, what was her <laughs> kind of like relationship with that part of your life back then? Yeah, I guess she would say I was a good actor, so that's sweet. She definitely believed in me. 
one thing my mum's been great at and my dad while he was around was like I was the sort of kid that was coming back with a new idea of what I was going to do every day all these ideas and they were always I could sort of visualise it now on the little table and I'd be like right so I've gone away for the weekend I've done this has happened and now I'm doing this and they both sort of just look at each other like they didn't necessarily know how to support me to get there they didn't necessarily have contacts or like had those experiences for especially when I was like right well I'm going to be an actor in theatre I mean they didn't know what to think Mm. but they were always like okay cool cool I know this is like the obvious question to ask but like theatre the creative industries the stuff that you were really into and really wanted to get into Mm. is a very sort of like from the outside looking a very rarefied existence had your parents had obviously didn't have the connections but had they had a connection no 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 no. they were baffled by all that really really 100% but I think they could see that it was bringing me joy that was good I always remember when I did my first ever like youth theatre show when I was like 12 well actually so a dance teacher came to my school and this whole dance it was to something like S Club 7 or steps I remember and I was obsessed with that I was like oh my god this is amazing and I remember going to my mum I want to do dance class I want to do dance class she took me to a dance class and straight away I was like you know basically the internal homophobia jumped in I was like I cannot do this because it was all like ballet boys and I just suddenly didn't see myself in that PS now I love it Um, (laughs) but at the moment so she was like what about you theatre then that's a bit more basically but so you know even lived in me not just my drama school teachers but anyway when I did my first play I remember she came away after and my dad they were just like we've never seen you like that it's so funny how that comment is still ingrained in me they're like you've never been so confident you've never been so expressive and I did not recognize that person on the stage so So this was like a halo effect of you kind of like applying your craft but being creative yeah I don't know how much craft I had back then but like like, come on (laughs) because I think I wasn't a very confident kid at that point and you know there's a space where you can you sort of have to be confident you know sink or swim you're on that stage for some reason they gave me a good part and I had to do it so I think from that point onwards, she always knew that, that, you know, that was a place where I could express myself in a different sort of way. Yeah. However, you know, graduating and basically doing like slightly mainstream musicals and the odd play, which is what I was doing, that's slightly different to then going, mum, I'm going to be like quite a sort of radical queer yeah. playwright. Yeah. My work now is like quite in your face. Very, very queer. Has she been to see? She yeah. sees everything. <gasps> Yeah. Okay. So to describe my mum, she still lives in Coventry. Yeah. She, What's her name, by the way? Alison. Alison. Okay. Alison still lives in Coventry. Yeah, she's not really connected to the gay world, to the queer world. Yeah. Lots of the things that appear in our lives and therefore these plays like, are so alien to her. But she comes to see everything and she's with a very open mind. We sort of have this tradition now that we go for breakfast the morning after because after the play, she's usually a bit shell-shocked. <laughs> she's usually like, whoa. Is it, is it the nudity? Is it the That's subject it matter? Too. Sure, yeah. all of it. I mean, like, for example, Undetectable, that one I was like, oh, here we go. And it's like a love story between two men and it's about all sorts of things, you know, addiction, about the chemsex scene, about living and surviving, thriving with HIV now. It's yeah. about racism. It's about... All these things that are really pertinent. But, you know, my mum, Cam Sex, the two actors were naked for quite a lot of the play. So there was a dick in her face. They were talking, <laughs> you know, there's, and one of the points of that play was because it's sort of about intimacy and all of the things that stop us being intimate with another man. Mm. So I really wanted it to feel genuinely intimate on stage. So we're, in a really sensitive way, we tried to sort of show gay sex and the time before and after gay sex in a really real way that mm. often doesn't happen in theatre. Mm. Safe way, but real way. So of course, she, you know, she got to see all of that. Forgive me for asking, yeah. but you're talking like sort of simulated or full penetration? <laughs> I'll send you the video. Okay, great. Fantastic. <laughs> well, no, so the play begins with like, they're about to have sex and mum yeah. goes, oh, wait, 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 I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. And then the whole play really is about how they begin to rip 
chip away all these things that divide them, past traumas, addiction issues, to political differences, all of this, so they can finally, by the end of the play, be fully themselves and have sex for the first time. So they only really get there at the end, but they yeah. try to have sex a yeah. lot in the play in different yeah. ways. So you get to see lots of different things. And we had two amazing actors who were like really fearless. And it's a really interesting dynamic because so much of like being a parent, particularly mum, I think, mm is the feeling of protecting but also like nurturing and educating your child but like from what you're saying here's an example several examples of you almost adopting that role with her yeah educating her like the obvious question to ask is like how does she receive it what are those kind of like morning after breakfast like <laughs> well so yeah after she's always a bit shell-shocked she always says well done really proud of you but she always sort of pulls the same face she's like you know there's a lot to digest yeah. and i think i don't know what she thinks over the night but you know by the morning she's able to go okay so with that one for example she's like so chemsex tell me about that yeah. you know she wants the lowdown but also then of course she's interested in like so where are you in this like where are you on that spectrum well, what's your relation i suspect so yeah i suspect so i think Especially with that play, because so to take a step back, my dad was an alcoholic and that eventually took his life. And my first ever play was really about that. So it's quite nice actually talking about my mum because I spend a lot of time talking about my dad in my work and otherwise. There's a character in that play too, which sort of was my mum. She was also in that play. Now that morning after was a whole different thing because that was, you know, that's our life Did right she recognise herself in the play? So interesting. I mean, she knew I was writing the play because it took me years to get that on. Yeah. So she knew I was trying to tell dad's story and she knew then that there was a character that was going to be her. So she was all primed for that. And however... Interestingly, after she kept saying like, oh, it was nothing like me. Like, it was nothing like me. And I was like, mm, it's definitely you. <laughs> but weirdly, the trait she was like, she was like, oh, she's so confident. She's so like independent. I'm none of those things. I'm none of those things. And I was like, well, I didn't write that character from nowhere. You know, when my dad was struggling with alcoholism, she was there for years and years and years trying to help him. And then eventually broke away and was like, look, I need to live my life. I yeah. need to. And sadly, that was timed with his sort of decline. Absolutely not sort of her fault in any mm. way. So, you know, no, I am proud of her. She took that moment to be like, okay, I now need to be independent and to do this. And I saw a lot of confidence in her. Now, she would describe herself as very not confident. But at that time, you know, she was doing all these things for the first time on her own at the age of like, I think she was around 52. Mm. And I thought that was amazing to see. Hugely so. And there's so many like, first of all, thank you for sharing that because... It takes a lot, right? Like, and, and thank you for being so vulnerable. It's all in the plays. Don't worry about it. All the <laughs> you, trauma. It's all well, in it's there. Just read you, the back. Yeah, like you, it's your art, but it's also your therapy as well. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm not the first one to tell you that. But it's interesting that you inadvertently or kind of consciously held up a mirror to your mum, not in a kind of like confrontational mm. way, but it's not a depiction of herself that she recognised. Mm. Is that because she's incredibly sort of like, humble or do you think actually that's humble perhaps not the right word but mm. or do you think that's just like humanity like the way mm. in this case Alison sees herself and the way we all see ourselves is different somehow than how other people see us. Interesting, yeah. I don't know the answer, but as part of what I do, I also work with a lot of other writers helping them develop their plays. And there's always a concern when their plays are too much relating to something in real life. There's mm. always that nervousness of what if it gets produced, what are people going to think? And usually they only care when it's family. When it's friends and stuff, they're like, oh, it'll be fine. When yeah. it's family, they're like, I just don't know if I can be that honest. Yeah. And of course, in order to make good art, I think you have to be really honest. Now, it can be disguised, but there has to be truth in there. So mm. I have to say, listen, for now... Don't worry about that. 
if we make a great play and therefore it's going to get produced, then let's we can have the conversation of how can we mask this or do it in a way that's safe for you and your family. However, unless it's a good play, it ain't going to get put on. So you don't have to worry about that. And it's not going to be a good play unless you take some of those barriers down. Exactly. And I've learned that through that first play where I really had to do that. But the other thing I say to them is you will be amazed that people won't think it's them even though it really is. Yeah. I find it's more that than the other way around. People yeah. go, oh, do people go, I bet that's me, that's about me. I don't think people ever say that to me. But they always, if I say that is inspired by you, they're like, yeah. oh, no, I didn't see that. Didn't see so that. here's an interesting question. Like, let's say the roles were reversed and your mom wrote a play you. <laughs> like, how do you Ooh. think she would write you? How would she write me? That's so interesting. I think she would write me as yeah very independent which is obviously a word i used to describe her yeah we're sort of an interesting family now because obviously dad died so that does a thing to you in terms mm. of it's me i've got a brother as well i've got two a half brother and a half sister as well so my brother sort of sticked around with mum after that and really helped to get on the feet i this is while i was at drama school and once she really found her feet he went off and now he lives in australia wow. so i live in london he lives in australia so in some ways i guess that moment sort of exploded us out mm. so i think she sees both of us and thinks sees us both as incredibly independent, just going after our own lives in our own ways, not confined by what you think life should be like, which is 100% something we've learned from her. Though again, I don't think she'll claim that. So yeah, I think that's how she would write me on some sort of adventure, doing something interesting. And I guess I'd love to see her attempt <laughs> at writing like the queer world and things, because she knows right. a lot about it from yeah. seeing my plays, yeah. but it's also not her experience. I mean, that would be funny. It'd be, would... it'd be amazing. I kind of, <laughs> like, I, I do worry, really though, that she's going to sort of like try and do this sort of montage of her different <laughs> interpretations and put you in a kind of chemsex situation. That's what I like. Mum, 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 writing a chemsex scene. It's just that I would honestly live for that. Please I make think that would be the height, the height of art. And here she is, Alison. <laughs> we've got a commission for you. <laughs> Obvious question now to ask mm. is if... There was a biopic of your mom. Who would she like to play her and who do you think would be good at playing her? Well, I can sort of cheat with this because obviously she was literally in this play and mm. she was played by Michelle Collins. No way! A.K.A. Cindy Beale. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Which was a gag. And my mum was so excited about that <laughs> because we were like massive EastEnders fans when we were young. And she was like, Cindy Beale is playing me. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> and she was like, I think my brother was the most excited. I mean, on the night he just, he came, he just kept taking photos of her. He like wouldn't let her get away from him. So she was very excited about Michelle Collins play her. So yeah. I have to give Michelle some credit that she did right. do that well. Yeah. So I think that's who my mum would pick. Mm. But if I think about this question for me, I think someone like Sally Hawkins. Mm. You know, the shape of water. Oh, yes. She yeah, does lots of yeah. Mike Lee films. Yes. Because she's a very naturalistic actor. She's yeah. like really good at just playing it real. Yeah. She's really good at slightly quirky and playing that sort of lack of confidence, even though actually she's really interesting and like knows her own mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's that like introversion that she's really good at. Yeah. And she looks a little bit like my mom. Okay. Sort of. And I should have asked you this at the beginning, but like, We've got a very sort of like conceptual picture of your mom. <laughs> yeah. But I think I want to paint like a, what does a she real... Literally yeah, exactly. like. What does she look like? She's quite short, quite petite, and she's got like a brown sort of short hair mm. with some blonde highlights. Oh. <laughs> like she's, naturally or no no no, no okay no, no, fine no, no, no. Yeah. I mean yeah 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 no, 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 she, she's listening <laughs> and, we, yeah, okay. and she's sort of yeah just sort of small very pretty woman I don't know how else to physically describe it. it's funny because you never really physically describe people do you I don't part of the reason I ask is when uh, <laughs> sounds really cool to say it's honestly not meant in a cruel way when my sister and I were like quite a bit younger we lamented how my mom dressed and I'll tell you why 
So when I was about like 12 or 13, I can't remember whose suggestion it was, but one of us suggested that we draw like this picture of how we both saw my mom. And Uh-oh. so the, what the picture that we drew, and we came up with a name for her as well, the picture that we drew was a cross between the Terminator and the Bag Lady. And her surname is Shaman. So we nicknamed this character the Shamanator. And it was sort of like the silhouette was like this sort of like ginormous beer moth of a robot. She's quite sort of like broad-shouldered my mum. And she always wears a hat. She always wears like a Palestinian black and white scarf, multiple layers, including like always a raincoat. And like this huge rucksack, sort of like a floral skirt, no ties and black DM boots. And at the time she had a shaved head. So like going to like town, going to parents evening was always a bit of an ordeal for us <laughs> as kids. But we had a slightly, you know, maybe cruel. I didn't know. Is that cruel? Maybe cruel sort of depiction of her <laughs> as kids. And to be quite frank, she hasn't really changed. <laughs> She's still the Shermanator. Bless her. She sounds amazing. Yeah, she is. I mean, she's quite a character. Back to Alison, though. So Alison is a lovely, petite, very caring, very sort of like open woman. She sounds like a saint. There must be a but. Not a but in a kind of like (laughs) bad way, but what's she like when you piss her off? She doesn't tend to get angry. That's not really the vibe. She'd probably get upset before she gets angry. Yeah. Yeah, that would be sad. Okay. Um, What have you done to kind of, even in a mischievous way, I think it's been a long time, hopefully, that since I've upset her. But I mean, when we were younger, I think, to be honest, my brother was the sort of crazy one. He mm. won't mind me saying. He got into every bit of trouble so that I didn't have to. You know, yeah. he was first Is he older or younger. Older, okay. yeah. So I vaguely remember her bursting into tears sometimes in despair just because he was like such a mayhem. But it was usually me sort of observing it. I guess I was always the playwright, you know, observing right. the chaos, thinking, right. great, this is going to make. Did you, were you the instigator as well? Oh my God. Like, was what it are you insinuating? Like, you, were, you were definitely sort of thinking of the future. <laughs> Unaware, but have you watched Euphoria? Yes. The second season, yes. the writer woman. Yes, like, that was you. My part. Yeah, literally. Okay. I was like, hmm, okay, I'm going to take all this in. But no, I mean, both Mark and me were like really like, I guess because of all the stuff going home with dad, God bless him, like we lived a lot of our life away from the house. Mm. So we were always trying to get out and go out. And obviously being a gay kid, you know, I was out trying to find the gays. I was sneaking into the gay club when I was 14. Wow. So... What would your mum say if she knew that? Does well, she know that? she knows that now, yeah. Well, I always wonder, I mean, we've had the conversation like, mum, where were you when I was getting to the gay club at 14? Because <laughs> although there's like a part of me that very much appreciates that I had that independence, yeah. obviously there is a question of like, yeah, yeah but how? Well, we, yeah. But you know, she was busy trying to keep my dad together. Right desperately trying to shield me and Mark from everything that was going on. So I guess probably it was quite helpful that we were independent and going out, getting our sort of needs, those sort of needs met elsewhere because she in a way was trying to protect us from that, which I appreciate. How, if it's not too personal a question, Mm. how do you think that episode in all of your lives affected her? Mm. Well, it's one of those things where like I'm still, when we talk about him, which we try to, there's like always more layers. I don't know if you, when you speak to a parent, you're like, oh, this thing that, and then they're like, oh, when this happened, and you're like, you've never told me that happened. Do you know what I mean? And then again, you go deeper and deeper because, you know, dad's alcoholism really affected me and Mark for like a two year period where basically he lost his job and it got really bad. It was the two years leading up to his death. We were all very aware of it. We knew he was an alcoholic. I took a gap year sort of to try and help him. So I was around the house for a whole year trying to help him and realised I couldn't. Off I went to drum school. When my mum then left, he sold everything 
that he had and went on an actual gap year. He went to Thailand which oh, wow. to live out the remaining of his life. Hence the play that I wrote. It's about his yeah. trip to Thailand. But in that, I imagined that I went with him. So you've got this like very crazy, loose, drunk dad with his very uptight gay son. So they're almost like role reversal right. on this adventure in Thailand. Sorry to backtrack. What was the question? I was talking about... You were talking about your dad and like this sort of the difficult episode. My oh, yeah, how like, it resonated with us all. Got it, got but, it, got and it. Like, and particularly your mom, like, yeah. So we all see it as those two years and then, you know, the wake of that. But of course, for her, she knew the problem existed mm-hmm. for like... She now says, you know, 20 years before he was always drinking, it was always a problem. And she was always trying to mask it in different ways. So the two years, I feel like I was really trying to help him, falling into those traps of, oh, how can I make sure no one knows he's drunk or do this, that and the other? You know, she was doing that for a whole lifetime. So I think by the time she left him and sadly by the time she died, although I'm sure she absolutely doesn't wish that on him, there was a sense of like freedom, I guess. Relief almost. I think so. And I think she always says, you know, the main thing I was worried about was you guys because... I was choosing to leave a husband and a relationship that was no longer working or hadn't been working for a long time. Whereas it's your dad, you know, Mm. that's something she feels like, yeah, I guess guilt or maybe guilt's not right. But she didn't want us to lose our dad. Whereas she, you know, losing a husband that you choose to move away from is slightly different. It is. No, you're right. Mainly because I think so much of, and certainly this is true of me and my parents, so much of one's identity and sense of like security comes mm. from parents as caregivers mm-hmm. and parents plural usually for most people mm. not for all people but if you kind of you don't have that in one person and actually the role is different it's, mm. it's incredibly hard and then yeah she had to rebuild her whole life so you know because he sold everything he had there wasn't anything really to leave but when he died she'd always worked but he was the main sort of earner mm. so she had to find a way to earn more money she had to try and get her own flat and all of this and then slowly piece her life together so to see her now you know she's got a partner she's working she's got this flat that she owns mm. she's got a really nice life you know a humble life, but one she really enjoys. They go on holidays. She loves the outdoors, this and other. You know, she really had to build that piece by piece. So, yeah. you know, whereas she'll say, I'm ordinary, I'm not strong, I'm not confident, rah, yeah. rah. It's like, I don't know. I think that's pretty extraordinary to do that. I know this is going to sound like an obvious question to ask you because so much of your art and your work is referential in that respect. Mm. But how important do you think it is for you and others like you to tell the story? Because for me hearing it, I haven't been through that with either one of my parents but I think so many people have Mm. and just knowing that someone has come out of it and been able to process it sort of mentally psychologically emotionally Mm. and become the man you are today must be so strengthening for someone else to hear I'm very lucky I have a job where essentially you find excuses to spend time really thinking about the things that are important to you And I guess what stories do, you're sort of trying to put order onto chaos. You're trying to like take whatever, whether it's real life or just ingredients and things you want to explore and create a story, create a structure, which is going to communicate those ideas to an audience. So yeah, you're literally trying to make meaning from things that are sort of meaningless. So it's a privilege to do that and to do that on stuff of your own life. You know, when I look at the first four plays that I've had on that have all been published and they're sort of in my head, a sort of body of work and I'm moving on to something else. When I look at those four plays, they're sort of, even though the first one's the most autobiographical, the others, they're not autobiographical at all in one sense, but they also are completely autobiographical of just like each point of writing them. Everything in life went into that through that filter of me at that point, if that makes sense. So I look at those four and they're almost like theatrical diaries of like big chapters in my life. 
and what a privilege to be able to explore not only explore that for myself but then share it with an audience and hear people come up to you and go oh my god I saw this I saw this or this meaning this meaning I mean it's just such a joy and it's just I guess a casualty of the profession that anyone in my life around me unfortunately runs the risk of being represented in Where those stories get my play excuse <laughs> me I'm writing it as does she me. does she know that you're here today Mm-mm. what would she say if she heard all of these things well, I sort of, you know, I was going to do it and then see, listen back and then see if I was sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I will. Well, I hope she'll be happy because I'm saying nice things. Mm. I think, as I say, I spend, we, and even as a family, we spend a lot of time talking about dad. And I guess that's a way of keeping him around. And I suppose at the point of him dying onwards, like that was a big theme in my work, addiction, and seeing how that then also is so common and in the gay world, which I want to mm. explore, you know, all those links. And, you know, with gays and daddies and, you know, my latest play is all about daddies and daddy issues in a sexual way as well. So he's so clearly around yeah. that I don't always get the time to talk about her. And it might be something, you know, when someone dies, it's a lot easier yes, to talk about them. Yeah. You know, she's still there. So to explore her in my work, maybe so head on is a bit scary but saying that I'm writing two new plays at the moment and both of them have mother characters I was, as oh, I was thinking really? of today I was like oh that's interesting I've gone from the daddy to the mom that's interesting so I mean they're not finished yet so it'll be interesting to see whether she comes through those or whether it's someone else how much of that do you think is forgive me for saying is you mm. sort of processing your grief because you sort of like you know so much of what you've written and created it's a way to tell the story but it's also a way for you to process it right 100% I mean my dad's gap year was that and at that point I had more instinct than craft because it's first ever play and most people's first plays tends to be quite autobiographical because mm. this thing happens in life and you're like I want to be a writer and I've been given this thing and I'm going to write the thing whereas I think or it's certainly my case is you develop it becomes less you more about something that happens to you or something in your life that you're really passionate about but you find another vehicle that's better way of exploring it than actually what happened to you because often life you know there's more exciting ways to do it so yeah that was definitely trying to process my grief and you know the play imagines me going with him so the coming of age I was having in London as a gay man happens in the streets of Thailand with my dad in the final months of his life which none of that happened so it really allowed me to imagine okay a what the hell did he get up to out there because none of us really know we know stories yeah. we've got pictures so for example in the play there's a trans female character and he falls in love with a trans woman and that's wow. based on a story that he told my brother just before he died that he showed him a photo of him and a trans woman on riding an elephant and said that he had this amazing relationship yeah. with her. So, you know, stuff like that is like, okay, but how did that happen? How did they meet each other? So the play really allowed myself to get into his head and actually get to know my dad in a way that I couldn't when he was alive or I didn't get a chance to. Yeah. There's the end of the play, Ricky Beadle Blair, who directs all my plays, he really pushed me because he was like, the dad needs a speech at the end of the play. I was like, okay, fine, what, mm. what's the speech? He's like, I think the dad needs to do a speech because he's dying, he doesn't survive in the play in a way he doesn't realize he's going to die. He was like, we need to understand what drink has given him because mm. like, why has he chosen drink over family, if you want to see it that way, or unable to get out of the addiction? Like, what has drink given him? And obviously, that was really hard to write because mm. I was like, well, I don't really want to go there. Like, mm. whatever it is, it's just addiction. It was just physically addictive. He was like, yeah, yeah, but at one point he wanted it exactly. like what did it so I had to write this speech which was you know him saying to the family this is why I drank this is what drink gave me that actually you never did yeah oh this chills down the spine but that was amazing to write because I mean that is therapeutic that's like oh I understand why you did it but I read that speech now and I do come back to it from time to time and I'm like I get it I totally get it and I don't any sort of anger that I have to him tends to fade away when you really well it's when you understand people and thank you again for sharing, because you, through your dad, and your dad obviously had a very difficult relationship with substances, drink in this case, 
what about you and your mom and your brother? Because it, it must sort of bear so heavy, but like, you know, mm. we're Brits. We drink a lot. Mm. Like so you're gay. You you we go mm. out and you see friends and everything's revolved around like partying and drinking. Mm. Like how have those two things sort of reconciled themselves in, in you and your mom? In well, both me and my mum after I think both of us stopped drinking, basically. My brother never stopped drinking, I'd say. He's a bit of a party animal. So like that I mean, we were always having conversations about it our relationship to alcohol having seen it but both her and I in some ways he's more like my dad and I'm more like my mum so our both instinct was well I'm never going to do this it's an awful thing mm. and then I had an awakening on the streets of Berlin no less there's many gay men okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> right, I remember but I do remember this point trope. in Berlin and I was like wait I'm closing myself off now to experiences right. I don't think that's the answer either I think like there is a middle ground that so many people tread I don't know if I still feel this now but this is what I felt then and actually he wouldn't want me to become this mm. uptight thing he in relation to that yeah so you know I do drink and so does my mum now but you know alcoholism definitely is like a looming presence and mm. if you speak to my partner my friends they'll all say I'm way too like oversensitive about thinking about my relationship to any addictive substances but of mm. course you're going to see that when it literally yeah, took the life of someone so close exactly and you've had to sort of confront it in a way that so many other people haven't mm. but like just back to what you just said about your kind of like partner and friends seeing that in you do you feel yourself that that's like a sensitive point because of what happened with your dad and your mm. mum? Or actually, do you think they're kind of overreacting? No, I've definitely got a sensitivity. And it's very hard for me to be objective about addiction. Mm. I understand loads about addiction on one hand. But on the other hand, the whole sort of point of, not point, but you know, what addiction does so well is convince you that it's not a problem, you know. Mm. So as soon as you know that, it's like, well, how will I ever know? I won't know. So maybe the answer, and this is still something I'm still figuring out, you know, in some ways, making one decision to abstain completely is easier than a million decisions of, shall I drink tonight? Shall I not? Am I yeah. doing too much? Which takes up so much mental space. Now, so many people move through life and don't even, that doesn't take up space. They just yeah. drink a bit and don't, and it's fine. And I'd say my partner, like, he definitely has a really fine relationship with drink. So yeah. for me, it takes up a lot of mental space thinking about just the overthinking it. No, I got it. Mm. It makes complete sense. Slight segue here. Mm. For so many people, me included, like the idea of a happy space, there's lots of ideas for happy spaces. One of them for me is like being at a pub with friends and drinking. It's a Sunday, Friday night, whatever. Back to Alison, like what's, I'm assuming it's not this, but like what's her idea of the happy place? Like, do you know that? Do you have that sort of like insight into her life? When do you think she's most comfortable and happy? Mm. I think she really has got into the outdoors. So, like, I think on a long walk or something, mm. her and her partner, she they have, like, no, oh, my God, they need to get a dog. <laughs> like, they've got membership to various sort of, like, national trust things or these places That's where you can it. go for a big walk now. Yeah. And they do that. So her partner, he is a wildlife photographer, oh, like, wow. and he takes these amazing photos. So I think they can be out all day. He'll be sitting there looking for these animals and things, and she's just sort of chilling. And I think... I guess she's found a piece. I think we talk about that quite a lot, that our life was quite crazy. Mm. You know, dad was an alcoholic. He was also just a bit of a wild one, you know, yeah. very, very funny. But, you know, doing all sorts of just mad shit and we'd just be like, oh my God, what's happening now? So you spend so much emotional energy sort of trying to, I don't know, control that, I guess. She's found solace with the National Trust, as so many mums and dads <laughs> do. We could only hope. And is that something you share? Are you like a walkler, rambler? Definitely getting more into it, yeah. yeah. I think it's just finding that peaceful vibe, you know, especially living in London, doing all this crazy stuff, working in the arts, you know, there's loads of highs, which is great. 
but you have to find that middle ground otherwise the lows come crashing do you know what i mean i don't know if i've ever told you this but my mom every day sorry not every day every week on a friday between the hours of 1 30 and 2 p.m sends me a voice That's so cute that, which is really cute and it's a lovely little kind of like pick me up I just want to play one of them for you. It's just, it's a real random one. In fact, I'm literally going to scroll up my conversations and just pick one. But you know, they're all going to be good. That's uh, that's the level of quality. Friday the 11th of March. But I just want you to listen. I kind of want to get your like reaction. Okay. Hi. How are you today? It is Friday. It is your weekend and I will see you tomorrow. Paul, I'm so happy to be seeing you tomorrow. Hello to Yuzu, hello to Lemon, hello to Adam, and hugs for everyone, and extra hugs for you, of course. Safe journeys, and enjoy your weekend, however you're spending it, before you travel. Paul, I love you. Bye. Oh, wow. Very sweet. What a gift. She sends the same to my sister. Well, I love it. She's not talking about herself. I was ready for the, oh, here's my update. No, here's the thing. It's just never. literally, she's just sending you love. It's just like this. Yeah. It's the it's cutest exactly thing. Bad. It's like a little WhatsApp of love. Now, me and my sister sort of discuss this in a kind of like jokey way. I've always received those in the way that they're meant, in a kind of loving way. But also, like, there's a little bit of drama that goes on there. She's, oh, is there she, another she, side to it that you No, 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 I not, not a bit. There's, a, there's lots of dramatic pauses unintentionally. <laughs> and then, like, a lot of sort of, like, effusive, like, the, the sound of the kiss. It's not like kisses. It's like a... She's mwah. dramatic. She's is a she, star. Is she, is she made for the stage? I mean, clearly. Oh, at least God, okay. audio drama. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? I mean, I haven't seen yeah, her. Okay. I don't know. But, I mean, the voice has a strong... Was there a northern accent at one point? She, she is from Bradford. Oh. which is where I'm from. Can you not tell by my accent? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like yeah. I'm from Coventry. Exactly. Yeah, we've had it. <laughs> we've all been in London born, too long. Born, I know. Born and bred, hasn't lived anywhere else in her life. I think apart from a stint that she lived in London, she has this encyclopedic kind of recollection of every single job that she's done, as I imagine a lot of people do. So she's like, she's worked as a librarian. She met my dad working as a croupier in the casino. But, she refuses to tell me what she did for three months in London. And the mind boggles. Um, but I, did, I didn't ask her, maybe I should. But yeah, she's quite a live wire, my mum, bless her. I mean, interesting about the pause that you mentioned is like, it's almost like, has she planned what she's going to say? You know, like, I guess she's planned she's going to send you love, yeah. but maybe not. So there's like the pause. I'm like, yeah. oh, is she going to say something else? And then she decides not to. Maybe this is if I was directing the stage version of that WhatsApp. No, I'd be like, you know, where does her mind go? What is she not saying? What does the Tom Wright curated stage directed version of that mm. WhatsApp voice note? Well, she has like? to be gay. <laughs> Sorry, mum. <laughs> so, she's played by a gay man. Okay, she's cool. played by oh yeah, yeah drag version. Okay, great. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure she'd love that. Well, I guess like I guess the gay theme is coming from you know you and Adam, yeah. and cute little lemon. So yeah. yeah, maybe it's about the mother's like relationship to that. But I think yeah that I would do the version of like all the things she's not saying. Like Ooh. we need context of like she's ringing you to say something, but then actually like that's what's said, and then the heartbreak of like all the things that you know. But I don't quite know what that is. Yeah, so like there's there's it. like the initial kind of like love note, yeah. but then afterwards there's the accidental sort of like in a uh, monologue note. Right, right. Like she could just be talking, talking, and then things I'm really come out. Ashamed of who you've become oh working for God. the corporates, living in London. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard about the chemsex. <laughs> <laughs> oh bless her! You would love her, honestly. I've She's heard. such rich material. Well, you need to bring her to one of my plays. Absolutely. Would you think she'd like them? She would. She. I, my mom is gay. 
Oh, she is gay. Yeah, she is gay. She's oh gay. my god, I didn't so know I, that. I got a brown Muslim dad and a white gay, very. Oh my god, someone else like gay. You were like, yeah. well, no, she is hun. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I think partly because you know she was basically sort of heterosexual, playing or otherwise playing is a too strong word to put it, but like you know she was not out to herself. Let's just say mm. until I was like twelve, thirteen, and then she came out, and so she's had this gay life. She's had a lot of girlfriends, not recently in Bradford. But I think, you know, as an adult in this sort of like late, well, certainly in her case, in her like mid 40s, and now in her later life, she's had that gay life. And she's never had sort of the being out when she was like younger, or mm. you know, before kids or whatever. Mm. But anyway, back to what you're saying, she revels, she loves to bathe herself in it. I took her to see <laughs> a, I can't remember what it was, but it was like a sort of a queer art exhibition at the Tate the Tate Britain mm. and it was sort of like British queer artists but like when you weren't supposed to be yeah 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 I think so, I was right like, too yeah. so she oh my god we spent three hours in there she read every single word on all of the like all the, the, photo, placards, the, yeah, yeah. All the placards and everything she would love it she would come up to you at the end tears streaming in her face right. she'd have flowers to throw at you oh, and at the actors you. and actresses thank like, you yeah okay we're making a deal we're making it happen she's coming to see your next play yeah I'm into it any final words for Alison. For Alison, oh, well, if I do decide you can listen to this. <laughs> yeah, just that, um, you know, I'm very grateful for everything you give me and I love you lots. Oh, that is so beautiful. Tom Wright, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. 